Hello, and welcome to In Search of Tracks podcast. You know what it is. We listen to the records. We find the tracks. Sometimes they're there. Sometimes they're not. My name is Pete. <sighs> sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not. My, my name is Bob. How are you, Pete? I'm pretty good. Um, we, just, we just did some uh, audio troubleshooting, so that's always like a fun way to kind of get jazzed <laughs> up for, for recording. <laughs> Nothing like uh, arbitrary back and forth, um, vaguely scientific uh, yeah. experimentation, you know? I was really sleepy before, and now I'm all <laughs> amped up to to do this episode. So yeah, feeling good. Uh, me too, Pete. Um, uh, everybody should follow us on socials at TraxPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you should send us the wonderful emails. We need to do a mailbag episode soon, Pete. You send we those emails to TraxPod at gmail dot com. Thank and you, yeah, everybody. Mailbag coming soon. That's long overdue. Thank you, everybody. Pete, what do we got today? We're going to talk about a guy named David Bowie and a little record that he did called Heroes. So there's a lot to talk about here. I think there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah. Pete, can I say that a friend of the podcast told me today they had never heard the song off this record, Heroes? I don't even know how that's possible. Uh, they they admitted not Bowie is not a go to for them. So okay, okay get that hundred percent. But I was still kind of like amazed because I was like, all right, this this doesn't this this is our alternate podcast. This does not track. Um, <laughs> uh, and I immediately googled like how what is David Bowie's most popular song? And a Rolling Stone article popped up, and guess what was number one? Heroes. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, not surprised. Not surprised. But the album, I think I would forgive a lot of people if they were unfamiliar with this album. I think I would forgive a lot of people if they were unfamiliar with most David Bowie albums. Really? Well, yes. I mean, it's 2022, and uh, we're talking about records that are uh, 50 years old in a, for <laughs> most of them, or, or approaching that, you know? Right, right. So I'm not mad at you, you know, uh, get nothing but love. I mean, but. Bowie is, he's an icon and he's a hit master, but, and you know, a lot of his album covers are iconic and obviously iconic. sold a ton of albums and blah, blah, blah. But like, sometimes you listen to a classic Bowie record and you're like, man, I never heard any of these songs before. Yeah. Except for the hits, you know? Well, sure. And, and you know what? I think, all right, let me, let me get into this real quick. This is where we get into it. Um, I knew all the David Bowie hits as a young person, like young, young, sometime in my early 20s. I was like, you know what? I need, uh, you know what? No, no, no. Even before young 20s, um, Bowie records were some of those like used bin staples. Oh, yeah. You know, um, so I got Hunky Dory and Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust. Okay. At Princeton Record Exchange, probably for 5 to $7 each in mm-hmm. pretty good, certainly playable condition. I feel like that's almost at the higher end at that point too, which is funny. Yes, but they were really nice, and you know, it's it was P Rex. Love to get records there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and they would be on. I would play them, and then when I moved to California, I was like, all right, I, sh- I actually, I really like. So I really like Hunky Dory, Rise and Fall. Mm-hmm. I have a soft spot for Man Who Sold the World as well. 
Okay. Um, Space Oddity, good record. Yeah. Um, then there's a little bit of a, 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 a... I'm not as into the next grip. Young Americans like the hits and like some of the energy on it, but loses me. And then Heroes, I get back in. But especially on this visit, because this was another used bin. This was a dollar at Amoeba purchase, actually. Okay. Um, <laughs> that tracks. Uh, and it was sort of like, okay, but can I give you a, a corollary, a theory, if I will? Sure. I think David Bowie is definitively the artist of the 1970s. Okay. Is he my favorite? No. I just think he defines it. And he played with a lot of the elements of it. You know, I actually, in research for this, I was like, let me listen to the very first Bowie record. His first solo album, really. Not great. Not great, but so of the time, like, I guess it comes out in 67. Yeah. And you're like, okay, like, this guy's in the pocket of this world, you know? Like, it's 1967, and you're from the UK. Like, yeah, (laughs) this is what you're doing. (laughs) I like that song, The Laughing Gnome. Do you know that song? Yes. Um, it's, it's so weird. <laughs> what is the Uncle Arthur? Is that the opener? I, I kind of, there's, yeah, Uncle Arthur, I kind of like. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's like. Yeah, there are a few tracks on it. There's a few tracks. Like, this actually would be a fun one because I think, I think if you have a vague interest in 60s pop, this is rock pop, I should say. Like, you know, this is kind of cool. There's some neat stuff, but it's certainly not. It's not necessary listening. That's yeah. for sure. It almost it feels like Bowie demos in a way. Like he he a hundred percent had not found his kind of lane in any way. No chance. And and the commercial success was reflective of that. But I put this out there saying I don't think he's my favorite. Uh, no one of his records is my favorite record of the decade. <laughs> he's got a couple songs that are right up there. <laughs> For sure. But he really touches on all these weird kind of cultural milestones of the decade. Yeah. You know, I I think it starts with Space Oddity being kind of lined up to release around the space race, you know, Mm -hmm. which opens the decade more or less. Um, And then continues. And he's a guy who dabbles in rock and then moves into the weird kind of space here end and definitely is in the dancey world. And like he's playing with some disco elements. Oh, <laughs> um, for sure. And then is evolving into what becomes like the template of pop music in the early eighties. And, and without saying like the influence that David Bowie had on punk on proto punk. I mean, I think Ziggy Stardust is, has lots of proto-punk elements. And then when we get into this record, like there's some stories where it's like, oh, wait, he was involved in what now? And post-punk and new wave. And, you know, like I, he's kind of crazy important. And he gets that status, but maybe not as much as he should because he was such a cultural icon almost first. Is that a weird thing to say? No, I, I actually, I agree with you 100%. And yeah, I'm looking at his discography right now, and I feel like he, I might agree with you completely. He's the artist of the 70s. Like, 
his whole 70s output is more or less the area of David Bowie, the era of David Bowie that I'm interested in. But also, like, every album is iconic. Yes. Diamond Dogs, Young Americans, yes. Station to Station, Station Heroes, to Low, yes. like, all of them. Yes, correct. Rise, I mean, Ziggy Stardust, obviously. He's got waves, same. too. I mean, you know, it's like, wild. So, the, so there's what's the, the trilogy, the Berlin trilogy, but there's yep. also just, like, I think Man Thin Who Sold White the World. Duke. Yes. And yeah. I think Man Who Sold the World, Hunky Door, and Rise and Fall all go together. Mm-hmm. And then you go into Aladdin, Sane, Pinups, Diamond Dogs. Those rock together. It's like, it's really interesting. To me, and we should really do a, some like weird era Bowie. Like, I've heard different things about some of the like 90s Bowie stuff. I, I don't particularly care for it. The last Bowie stuff that I'm interested in is Let's Dance. Um, there's some interesting stuff on that record, and yeah. the title track is definitely catchy. So, um, but he doesn't really pull me in after that. But the 70s, I think he's defining, I, I think he defines the decade in a way that it's like, hey, like, look, I, I want to talk about Led Zeppelin and I want to talk about Black Sabbath. And, uh, you know, there's probably a good grip of other artists that really deserve time and attention. Yeah. But <laughs> David Bowie better be a name that comes out of your mouth. Well, and, I think you're uh, right, though. Like, I mean, he 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 defies it's it's strange because he totally defies music in in a big way where mm-hmm. I don't know, like people who are not even interested in music probably like definitely know who David Bowie is. And, well, and it, and it overshadows how important and what he was doing as an artist, as a musician, because he, you know, man, I hate it because I don't, I'm not the biggest Kanye fan, but like that dude is more of a pop figure yeah. than he is a, an artist, even though the dude's like, the reason he's a pop figure is because he was a, you know, acclaimed artist. Right. And it's that where you step through the looking glass. And uh, Bowie certainly did that. And it's kind of wild to look at it. So um, Heroes is <laughs> his <laughs> 12th studio album. Yeah. Crazy. Deep in there. Um, so so a couple things that I didn't... That's my, my experience with Bowie is I got into it. Uh, through used bins and enjoyed it and it became kind of like when I wasn't listening to guitar music to jump through the wall of a VFW to um, <laughs> this was a like a pretty normal rotation and I would go through waves where I was like oh I'm putting this on this is kind of because it was good it, it was good uh, contrast to what I was listening to in the current tense but also just is undeniable in certain senses. But you're also not wrong. You can throw on any of these records we just said and get lost and go, wait, if you don't know the album inside and out, which let me be very honest, I know about three of these records in a way where I'd go, I know this record like yeah. inside and out. The other ones I'll go put on and I, it still feels like new music to me in certain senses. So, sure. Um, so yeah, had familiarity, know this record, own this record, but it's been a while since I did a headphones listen. What's your experience with Bowie? So I think I'm probably like a lot of people my age in that 
uh, I got into Bowie through Nirvana because Man Who Sold um, the World. Yeah, uh, Unplugged, Nirvana Unplugged. They covered Man Who Sold the World. I was like, this is a great song. And then I went back and heard the Bowie version. And I think like you then picked up Ziggy Stardust, Hunky Dory, and Man Who Sold the World at random dollar bins throughout New Jersey somewhere. Um, Really, really love the song Life on Mars on Hunky Dory. It's one of my favorites Yo, still. Incredible song. I, I think I've big upped, I've big upped uh, Moon Age Daydream off Ziggy Stardust a few times. There's just like... There's cut tracks on these that are definition of why we do this podcast. Like, like, hey, there's there's songs that are the big pop song or the more popular song, but there's tracks that are deeper in here that are gold mine. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I really just stayed there for a while and just had a few of his records, and I really liked them. I really listened to him a lot at the time, and then I didn't really go deep on him. I think I got Aladdin Sane and it just didn't really hit me in the same way. And it maybe station to station. I got around the same time, like years later when I was in college, probably. And they didn't really hit me too hard, but I, but I kept them and I would like go back and revisit them. And then I got really into Brian Eno and was doing an Eno deep dive. Mm. And then there was that crossover where it was like, Oh, Eno worked with Bowie on low and heroes and, uh, lodger i i think you worked on that too yes um so i got those and i mean half of those albums are like ambient eno songs yep so i was like oh this is great i'm i'm in um so that was that kind of then became my go-to era of bowie um because i found it more exciting at the time and you know Honestly, now I've had those records for a long time and I really don't go back to them all that often. I had like I had another Bowie phase probably like nine years ago when I started dating my now wife. Um mm. because oh, that's she's a good a, omen. Yeah, she's a she's a huge Bowie fan. Um, but she kind of loves all the eras of Bowie that I don't typically go to. Mm. Like she got into Bowie through Labyrinth, the movie. Oh, yo, shout out to her. That's yeah, cool. Like, like totally fell in love with Bowie as like a labyrinth character. And then like, you know, obviously loved all the 80s kind of dancier stuff. <clears throat> and I was like, what do I listen to? You know, what Bowie do I listen to in the 80s, 90s, whatever? And she was like, you know, Earthlings is awesome, which is the record that she did with or he did with um, Trent Reznor. I think Trent Reznor produced it. Yep from nine inch nails. And I listened to that and I thought that was really good. It's, it sounds very of the time, but it's, it's a really interesting listen. Um, and there are a few others. I think outside is one that came out in the nineties that he did again with Brian, you know, so it has a, like that really ambient feel. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Bowie, honestly, like a lot of it that I've now deep dived did not stick with me in any way, but then, there are these like peaks and valleys throughout the eighties and nineties that I really like. So, um, mm. that's, that's it. And then that last record black star, I actually ended up listening to a lot because, um, you know, he died right around the time it came out, like right, right after it came out. And, um, it's a really interesting record. It's really dark. So it's not one of those records you want to listen to all the time, but, but it's a really interesting one. So, 
and that's for, uh, for someone who that's probably that was probably his twenty something studio album. Yeah, definitely. And in a later era, it's um, to put together a dark album is really interesting. I, I I need to sit with that one. You've you've talked it up before, actually. I think I think yeah, well before we started doing this podcast, you spoke up on that one before. It's a so. really wild record. I think he recorded it with a bunch of like free jazz guys or something. It's just like it sounds crazy, but yeah, twenty fifth studio album that is. Shout out, amazing. Well. <clears throat> Uh, without further ado, let's get more into this. As you mentioned, uh, he did collaborate with Brian Eno on this record. Um, the note that I was unaware of, and you know, call me knave. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, after releasing "Low" earlier that year, Bowie toured as the keyboardist of his friend and singer Iggy Pop. Dude, I didn't know that either. Me, I had no idea. I, and I was like, wait, what? Because David Bowie was a big deal by this point. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll come with you on tour and just play keyboards. Sure. I mean, I, I love my favorite part of that is uh, he put the record low out earlier, uh, earlier in 1977. And uh, Heroes came out later in 77. And I guess the label was like, hey, listen, there's no hits on this record. Um and Bowie was like, it's cool. I'm not even going to tour on it. And he just went on tour with Iggy Pop instead. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's great. At the conclusion of that tour, they recorded Pop's second solo album, Lust for Life. Yeah. West Ber- Berlin, before he regrouped there with Brian Eno. W- wait, wait, wait. So David Bowie was just like, oh, hey, let's just record Lust for Life now. And then I'm just going to record Heroes like in a couple of weeks. Wait, yeah. What? what <laughs> yeah iggy pop and bowie were hanging out at the time hanging out and putting together like uh, some pretty fucking important tracks <laughs> like, <laughs> we should we should revisit iggy pop for for the podcast i think that'd be I fun I, I, haven't, I haven't i haven't gone to those records in a while oh i i listened to lust for life not long ago and it holds up way better than you would think and now looking at it uh bowie wrote uh the song lust for life Oh, I didn't uh-huh. know that. Yeah, he wrote. He he either wrote individually or was the credited as like fifty percent of it on most of this record. Wow! And it is good. Like it is good. This was a good like. Um, maybe we were playing board games and I had this record on in the background. And it was it was a nice time. Um, <laughs> so as you noted, you can definitely hear the Brian Eno on here. I think essentially the second half of this record is just like a, a Brian Eno project and yo, uh, spoiler, I'm here for it. I think it's great actually. Yeah. Um, we also got Robert Fripp. Oh yeah. Of King Crimson fame. Yeah. Um, and Which he is... was the, he was, uh, I think I believe the, the kind of production is Brian Eno, Tony Visconti, I think they were involved on both Low Heroes and uh, Lodger. Yes, and this is the only one of those three that Robert Fripp plays on too. So that's kind of like a unique addition to this this yeah, shout out, this era of the Berlin era, I guess. Um, l- let me let me ask a couple like high high level questions because we've given good. In- is this the David Bowie record you would give to someone if they said, "Hey"? I'm curious about hearing more David Bowie. What record should I check out? 
So the really the first one that they'd be hearing with any first depth album, yeah. Like they maybe you know have the casual. I've heard plenty of his songs on the radio, et cetera, et cetera. Is this the one you would give them? No, me neither. Not close. Yeah, not even close. Um, and that's. Uh, let me also say, the song "Heroes" is one of my favorite songs. Full stop. I mean, it's one of the greats, dude. Right. And I'm still saying, you know, I, 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 there's probably, there's probably fifth or sixth in, in order of Bowie records I would give to someone. Yeah. Um, I think it's the, I think it is the first of the Berlin trio, the Berlin trilogy, I think. Low might be, hmm. Low would be your go to? No, I think it's this. I think this is the one of the three. Okay, um, low low is my favorite of the Berlin trilogy, but I but I but I think if I was to give someone their first Bowie record, I think it just has to be Ziggy Stardust. I think it's Ziggy Stardust. Um, I like. I think it would depend on what they're interested in. If they were super into weirder music, I might give them Station to Station. Okay. If they were into just kind of rock and roll music. I might go hunky dory. Yeah. But I, I think mean, that's, I think that's Ziggy a good Stardust answer. is the is the easiest it's got it's got enough hits that it keeps you pulled in. It's got a few deep cuts. Hunky Dory and a Man Who Sold the World, I think Hunky Dory is the better of the two. And yeah, yeah, damn. Yep. But it's still weird. Like Hunky Dory, the B side of Hunky Dory is weird. The, the yeah. side two is weird. So I, I, I'd dude, feel all David there. Bowie records are pretty weird. Yeah, I know, I know. And it's like it's sort of like how weird is weird. How how deep <laughs> in the pool do you want to throw someone? Yeah, um, Heroes is interesting because to be honest, you're not getting thrown that deep in the pool. And the reason I wouldn't give it to someone is I don't think it's it's not Bowie enough, if that's if that's possible. It's weird, but it's not enough weird for you to know what you're getting into. And I just think it's doesn't quite have enough meat on the bone to really sink your teeth into. Um, yeah. Because when you break it down, this is a what is it a, a, a ten song record, but in reality, it's like five and a half songs. Uh, yeah. that Bowie is singing on. Um, so so let's let's get into any other high-level stuff um, before we do track by track. Um, let's see. I think, I think the only other thing that I found really interesting, which was not all that much a surprise, was just how the record was recorded. Um, so Tony Visconti, I found a quote from him that I wanted to read. Um. So he says, true to form, we all congregated in Berlin with nothing more than chord changes and rhythm ideas. No songs yet. Carlos, George, and Dennis instinctively knew what to do from the start, but played harder than the previous album. So the previous album being Low. Low was like learning a new alphabet. Heroes was the subsequent Pulp Fiction novel. Like Low, it didn't take very long to record the seven band tracks. They took less than a week. Carlos stayed behind to add more guitar, but the parts were more supportive than fiery. 
You were expecting Robert Fripp to start the fire. It's hard to believe that Beauty and the Beast to the Secret Life of Arabia, those are songs of the record, were just backing tracks arranged on the spot with no knowledge of titles, vocal melodies, or lyrics. Once a riff was established, as in Beauty and the Beast, a lick, an interjection, a counter melody, a quirky drum fill all fell into place naturally. Somehow it was mutually sensed where singing would and wouldn't be. Emotional music textures, not songs, were being recorded. And I thought that, and Tony Visconti, who, you know, said that, uh, was one of the producers on the record. But I thought that was really interesting because as I was listening to the record the first time, I I, I chose to kind of not read anything about it because there's always a lot of lore, particularly oh, yeah. about, about Bowie records. Um, and I thought to myself when I was listening to his lyrics, I was like, man, it 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 sounds like this is all kind of like he came up with it on the spot. Um, there's no real structure to some of it. Yes. Um, and as it turns out, that was literally exactly the case where the music was recorded. Bowie had no idea really what the lyrics were going to be or what the, what the cadence was going to be throughout the song. Yep. Went in, recorded the vocals kind of off the cuff and, and, and that's what we get here. So, so I thought that was really interesting. Super interesting. Um, it makes a song like Heroes that much more impressive. Yeah. And explains a few of the other songs. Alrighty. Let's track by track this bad boy. David Bowie Heroes. Opening track, Beauty and the Beast. So this is a really strong start to the album, I think. Mm. Starts with a really good build. Yep. Um, you can hear Eno's involvement, I think, right from the start. And then it gets really weird. It feels like totally psychotic to me at certain uh-huh. points with like with like the singing, like really high notes, um, with Bowie's kind of like weird affected monotone lower register yep. vocals going on. Um, I, I was talking to my wife about this song and she was like, yeah, it's like disco on acid. Yes. I said, and I was like, yeah, my first comment was funky disco. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I found this song to be, and I remembered it actually. And I was like, oh, it's, this is memorable, but not in a particularly great way. It okay. is still danceable. You can dance to this one. <laughs> um, and, and this song really had this weird, this part where I'm like, yeah, this started formulate my theory of bowie being the 70s dude um there's this weird intersection of funk disco and new wave where it's chunky sometimes awkward rhythms and this song has that and it almost has elements of all three of those kind of genres even though this is 
I would say this record uh, maybe doesn't predate New Wave. It's certainly on the crest of it. Um, and it's fascinating to hear it. It's got a cool beat, but it's not... It, it's strong, but it's not like... It's not standard. There's also a ele- an element of this song and a few others, which goes exactly what you said, where it feels... <sighs> Mm, a little bit rushed yeah a little kind of uh thrown together and that's not typical of some of the earlier bowie material a lot of the earlier bowie material had had some really truly manic energy desperation all that really wonderful juice that makes it so personable but it also feels very intentional this song and the next don't feel super intentional yeah yeah i mean i i feel like this is a really super experimental period for him um yes i know that he was really highly influenced by a lot of the kraut rock stuff that was happening at the time you know and noi and tangerine dream and all that stuff um and you can you can hear some of that um i know that there was a lot of influence on just being in berlin and kind of you know what that looked like and what the the politics and the society, you know, what was going on there. So there's a, there's a lot there, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is such a, it's, I liked it the more that I listened to it. And honestly, this is not a Bowie record that I would, I, I historically have gone to all that often. So a lot of it felt somewhat new. Sure. Um, it's like it's dancey, but like you said, I mean, it's clunky. It's like yeah, it, it's it's like a it's like like a party scene in Twin Peaks. You know, it, it's it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is the look. This is a song you play in the movie scene where people have a hard time figuring out how to dance to it. Yeah, you know what I mean. People are like like um, it's the 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 awkward white guy shoulder move and their <laughs> yeah. arms are moving a lot. Right. Their shoulders are, but then their hips are just kind of in one place and they're trying to figure out how to do it. And they got that eyes to the sky look and you're like, uh Oh, that's not good. This guy can't dance. And he's like, I know I can't <laughs> dance. I'm trying. Um, but that's the, that's the rhythm on this song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> track two, John, the lion. Is it Joe the Lion? John? Joe? John? Joe, I, Joe the Lion. Joe the Lion. I, yeah. That's an error on my notes. My bad. I, I, I bet John the Lion is on uh, some 90s Bowie record. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's his, his cousin. He's a plumber. Yeah. Uh, Joe the Lion. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, this song feels like filler to me. Filler. Okay. Uh, I. It is not fully formed to do a callback to some, some Pete fun stuff from before. It is fun. It's flitty. It's kind of like there's something there, but then there's nothing really there. And you know what I kind of like about it? What's that? It's a three-minute song that feels more like a two-minute song to me. It moves quick. Yeah, it moves quick. Yeah. I actually, I don't mind the song. I like I like it a bit. Um, okay. I'm not, I'm not going to cut it. It's... Uh, it keeps the energy going. It, it kind of tones not wrong. down. You're not wrong about that, it, by the way. It tones down like the... the kind of psychotic like dance feel of the first song. Um, and, and honestly what, what, what to me shines on this one is the production of it. I mean, this record sounds great and it still sounds great. No question. Um, so 
this to me more so than the first song, just because the first song is so kind of intentionally weird. Um, the production really shines here. I think it has a good groove. Um, the thing that I was thinking about though, and I guess what led me to that Tony Visconti quote that I read was I was just listening to the lyrics. I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? Like, what is this? Like, what is he singing about? So in that respect, it feels kind of thrown off to me, but, but the Mm. song itself I thought was, was solid. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pleasant, I guess I should, I should say that it's one that never stuck to my bones. As I continued to listen to this record, I was like, oh, you know. Sure. Sometimes that can happen <clears throat> when you're the track before the track. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my name's David Bowie, and I'm going to play uh, a song off my 12th studio album. Uh, title track of that 12th studio album. <laughs> song is also called Heroes. Um, all-time track. Rock yeah. classic, heartstring puller, drama in vo- Bowie's vocals, and in tandem with the song is on an 11 out of 10. Crazy vocal performance. Crazy. Yeah. Um, it's an all-timer. Might be. You know what? This is a big... Th- I love this song. There's other Bowie songs I like very close to it. But I think this is David Bowie's best vocal performance on a song because it's both understated and incredibly impassioned. And you can just like you can feel him through these the song in a way that I don't I don't think anyone else could sing this song and be as emotive and impactful as he specifically is here. He really, really goes for it in the second half. Yes, I kind of builds like, yo, if he went for it that hard in the first half, you can't get to that second half because you already set a bar, but he like builds to it and then just goes. Yeah, I I, for some reason, I guess I completely forgot how much he goes for it because it was like, wow, yeah, this is intense. Yeah, every Um, time every time I listen to it, I'm always impressed with how he pushes the ante up. And I appreciate you identifying that that second half. He just goes. And how about this? Whoop. Yeah. <laughs> I also, I mean, I maybe it's just because I'm a deep King Crimson fan, but man, I mean, there's this song doesn't hit as hard without Fripp. I mean, that guitar riff is is like awesome. so key to this whole song. Awesome. awesome. Um, and it's 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 one of those things. I I read that I I think he was trying to get I'm I'm blanking on his name, but the guitar player of Noi um for this album. Uh-huh. So he wanted that like Krautrock feel and he ended up getting uh Fripp instead. And it made me think like what what does this song sound like had Fripp not played guitar on it? Like what would that have been? So that's a that's a that's an interesting kind of like alternate history. It but, is and and I mean you're not wrong also because that guitar track it moves and undulates and I don't think of it. There's other parts of this record that are a little more. No, nah, I don't. There's other Bowie records where the guitar track is a lot more kind of uh, stiff and kind of yeah. like rigid, and and you know you can feel the repetitions, but it's it's sharpened. The guitar here glides in a way that I, I think 
it's very specific. And if you lose it, you'd lose a lot of the magic of the song. Yeah, absolutely. So it also, yeah, go ahead. The the last thing I thought about this song, I mean, this is one that I've heard a million times. I'm sure that the listeners have heard it a million times, or maybe you've never heard it. Maybe you're like Bob's friend. You're one of those weirdos that somehow escaped this song. But, um, I feel like this would be a really fun kind of somewhat uncomfortable karaoke song. Oh, let's go. I'm, I think I'm, I'm going to go for the, I, I think I'm going to go for this, this one next time I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, do you start crying halfway through? <laughs> like, how do you, how do you, like, you have to get like impassioned. All right, let's, let's do it. What I want to encourage is competitive karaoke where you and a friend go and you both do the same song back to back. <laughs> And try to outdo the other. You know what I mean? Oh, like a, same great. song. I think. I think. And you know, obviously, the crowd, the audience, will get into it. So, and um, it's also six minutes. So, like, you have to hold them captive. Oh yeah, yeah. There's some downtime too, so you got to like ha- be composed. Yeah. Have something going on. I don't. You know. I think this is this, this is a good one. All right. Let's pull it out to the uh, karaoke audience out there. Absolutely. Sons of the Silent Age. Pete, how do you follow up heroes? I mean, it's tough. It's really tough. But uh, I think this song does a half a good job. I think so too. I mean, this to me sounds more, it's like a more experimental take on what he was doing around the hunky dory era. Yes. Yes. To me, (laughs) like it just sounds like an updated version of what he kind of historically had already been doing. Yes. Um, so which is cool. I, I said, it's like this halfway swooshy new age jammer with a post blues slash psyche bass. Um, like, like, uh, uh, like spine to it. Um, I really like the backing vocals. Yeah. It has this kind of like very late sixties vibe, which pulls it into that hunky dory thing, but it has that jazz, the package it's pulled forward. Um, and I, I like that. And it's kind of those, <sighs> there are Bowie fans much greater than you or I clearly. But I appreciate that there's an element of referential nature. Like he's not afraid to look backwards and touch on a few things he's done in the past. Yeah. But move them forward. And I I think that continued. Like I I think you can pull that even through to stuff like Let's Dance. Um, So I I like this song a pretty good amount. I think there's this might be. I think there's two other songs on here 
of that that Bowie is performing full vocals on. Yeah. Uh, besides heroes that I think are are really exemplary, and this is one of them. Yeah. No, I think this is a great song. Apparently. This record, before he had Heroes, was supposed to be called Sons of the Silent Age. Oh, that's cool. So Yeah, so this maybe could have been the lead song on this record, in which case it's certainly not as memorable as Heroes, but a great song nonetheless. Yeah, imagine imagine <laughs> imagine burying heroes for Sons of the Silent Age. The song's good, but you know, it's, yeah. a, it's like a Heroes seven. is a deep cut. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh yeah, what's this little dusty track here? Um <laughs> All right. Blackout. Maybe the weirdest song on the record. I love this song. Okay. I I really, really like it. I mean, part of it is because I th- I think I love Fripp's guitar work on this too. Um, okay, see there there the is the guitar really brings me in. Okay, the guitar brings you in. I think it's like musically, this song didn't pull me at all. It just didn't move me. Okay. And Bowie's vocal track, it, it made it feel like this one weird, odd lyrical vehicle to me. And two, it's very manic, almost unhinged. Yeah. See, I think I like that. I, 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 I actually... don't dislike it. I like how weird the texture is. Yeah. I feel like it's. I feel like it's a little bit of a sore thumb on this record. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree that it's a sore thumb, but I also just, I don't know. I don't know like what the, this whole record is so off kilter. Like there's no real feel to this record in my estimation, because like every song is kind of, they all have a a few things in common, I guess, but like, I don't know. I, I, I like I, I still can't put my finger quite on like what the vibe of this record is because it's all just so different. Um, for me, like I, I did write in my notes that much of his vocals feel a little mailed in here for me. Like the yeah. vocal, the, the vocal performance th- really doesn't work for me all that well. But I think that the manic time changes are really effective yes. on this. Yes. Um, and like th- this song to me is all about instrumentation. Like this could have been an instrumental track and I would have been really happy with it almost. See, I need to, I need to sit with it more, I guess, because to me, I almost felt like the vocal track was distracting because it's so, it's interesting. It has a lot going on, Yeah, but I don't know if that's again, intentional or an effect of it, you know, mm-hmm. um, because it just feels so all over the place and it's it's fun because on this record you kind of get different shades of this where it's like um you know spoiler alert but i think um secret life of arabia and sons of the silent age feel really kind of like lock groove good good bowie songs heroes it's an all-time classic it feels so well constructed and then you hear a song like blackout it's like whoa whoa, whoa what what the studio tell you needed this or, or did you just go, ah, let's just go free jazz on this one. Let me just, you know, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, stream of consciousness, you know? Yeah. Um, that said, if you read the lyrics, pretty interesting and certainly fit the, the motif. Um, but it's, it's a fine song. I want to, I, I will go back and give the instrumentation a, a, a deeper lot. Look, I thought there was a little bit of repetition in there that was interesting. and I kind of want to find the rhythm to it. Mm-hmm. for sure um 
Next song is V2 Schneider, which I think we should note that Blackout is the last song on the A side. Yes. V2 Schneider is the first song on the B side, which I think, you know, all of this is very intentional at the time. Oh, oh yeah. So um, we have now entered the Brian Eno zone. Um, Brian Eno zone. Yeah, the Indeed. Eno zone. Yes. Um, it's like the third wave of this record where I feel like the first two tracks kind of are just, I don't, for lack of a better term, you, you do like Joe the Lion, um, not John the Lion, uh, <laughs> but but they're not. Then there's Heroes, Sons of the Silent Age, Blackout's kind of this anomaly, but V2 Schneider, um, it's almost instrumental. It's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like it. Um, it's sort of... It reminds you how there's an intentionality to art sometimes and what Bowie was doing. It's like very intentional. And there, there's almost like this thought when you're doing this, like, Hey, the B side is going to start and we're going to do, this is what the B side is. And it's now for something completely different. And I kind of, I kind of really like that. Not my favorite of these songs, but a good track. Yeah, I think it's solid. I'm I'm not totally in love with it, um, but it's 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 a cool vibe. It it kind of gives you a taste of what's going on 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 this side of the record. Um, again, the production is great. The it has a good groove to it. Um, I guess this was a tribute to Florian Schneider of Kraftwerk. Oh, um, okay. Bowie Bowie was like a huge fan of him at the time, which I think we mentioned in the Kraftwerk episode actually. Um. And it kind of you kind of get that feel to it, actually, like when you know that it it has kind of a craftwork feel to it in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those horn effects sound a little funny and dated um, in a, in a yes. <laughs> fun way. Um, I guess this was also the B side to the song Heroes, which I thought was so interesting. Like you buy the 45 single and like there's this like epic all time a yep. side and yep. then you turn it around and this is the b side like it's a really wild i like combo. it i actually really like the i like the companion energy to the lp you know yeah. I, I think it makes sense because it's like saying hey this is on the a side and on the b side here it is you know yeah um, no it's very cool so yeah I, i'm not in love with this track but like same. but i think it's cool uh sense of doubt i am in love with this track i think it's awesome uh, yeah it's great atmospheric very blade runner um yeah and we're full instrumental at this point yep yep all in 
firmly instrumental. Um, Written by David Bowie. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I, th- I think of these as being Eno songs just because you can hear him so much in the production. But like, but yeah, I mean, Bowie wrote these songs. Yeah, Bowie so. wrote uh, V2 Schneider and Sense of Doubt. He's solely credited, whereas the last three songs of this record, um, he gets co-credit with Eno. And Eno is co-credited on Heroes. Not bad. Not bad, Brian. I mean, Eno's a hit maker, man. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. He produced that. Coldplay, bro. <sighs> True. Um, speaking of, one of our mutuals uh, is currently on the road with Coldplay, so we should talk about that off air. Um, oh, wow. Uh, I really like this song. Not too much for me to say to enlighten this, but other than the fact that I was like, yo, I love this energy of these next three tracks, actually, and think it's when it comes to that more ambient, chill, instrumental energy this is this is really good i think this and the next song especially are high level yeah no i i i love sense of doubt i don't feel as strongly about moss garden although mm-hmm. i really like that song um before uh, you, you getting into yeah go ahead before, no sorry before getting into moss, moss garden sense of doubt to me this one kind of feel like it, it i know bowie wrote it but it does feel to me like it could have been on any number of eno records like it sounds like uh, like Apollo era. It sounds like another green world music for films, like any of those kind of somewhat darker ambient feels. Um, it has that going on for me. I think you can feel the kind of post-war Germany influence going on. Um, yes. On this one in particular. Um, it's, it's, it's easily, I, I feel like this is like the darkest moment of the, of the entire record. Um, but, Oh, but, is this the darkest that, moment? Like, um, yeah, I think this is the darkest moment just yeah. in terms of the feel of it. Yeah, yeah. no, uh, there's something to that, that, um, yes, this is a rung above Moss Garden, No question. Yeah. And um, yeah, probably darkest moment. Moss Garden. Uh, I enjoyed it. We're in the synth chill ambient section. Um, it's a little bit on the nose in some of the themes, but I'm still <laughs> yeah, I mean, in. Apparently, Bowie was like, hey, Brian, we're going to write a song. It's about this place called the Moss Garden that I went to in Kyoto, Japan. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he was like, I guess his, his notes to Brian, you know, were like, I want you to basically make nature sounds. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, I'm going to play an instrument called the Koto, which is the national instrument of Japan, over it. Oh, that's neat. And he's like, I got a day off in Kyoto. Yeah. And, uh, and oh, can we get a little more waterfall? And that's where Brian Eno was like, drawing <laughs> the line. <laughs> yeah. No waterfall. And, yeah. and that's, they settled here. I thought it was good, though. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in on it. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's very cool. Can play cool it at a cool coffee shop in New York City or... A garden center in the suburbs. Totally sure. works. Absolutely. New cone. New cone. So this is the last of the instrumental pieces on the record. Um, New cone is apparently a district in of uh, Berlin. Yep. Um, it's an isolated community, I think, mostly of Turkish people. Um, there's lots of poverty there at the time. Um, Bowie said that that contributed to kind of the mood of the song. Um, this I think is on par with sense of doubt as kind of having like the darkest kind of most melancholy feel yes. of any songs on the record. Yes. Um, 
it's cool. It it uh it doesn't strike me the way that Sense of Doubt does. Nope. But um it's all right. I enjoy I'm okay it. With it. I mean honestly can feel the theme. It does feel a bit more German uh if you could give that a sound. Um it's a little bit more angular. Uh um there's a little bit of more spaciness to it um there is a bit of an isolation feel i I really like the song but this this little section v2 schneider is a step down sense of doubt is a step up mosgard and newcomb are right there i think those three that block is really cool Um, yeah and it closes with the song the secret life of arabia So this one, let me. No, go in. On initial listen, I was like, "Oh, this might be like my second favorite song on the record." I think in hindsight, it's probably my third, maybe fourth. Okay. I really like it. I like the clap track to it. Yeah, it's dancey, but in this rocking way. This is the song of this record that could have been on Young Americans. Good call. Fully seventies. If you were curious what uh, plate mirrors and satin sound like, it is this song. <laughs> that's it. That's yeah. all I got. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think you summed it up well. I mean, I, for me, it's just, I think it's actually a pretty good closer. I like, mm. I always think, I always think too hard about the closers. I forgot about the closer element. Um, yeah. I think it's a fine closer. To be really honest, I would have loved for them to have cu- cut black out, move this to the last song on the A side, and you close on New Cone. Well, that's the thing, man. Because it like, doesn't totally fit the B side of this record. Yeah, because it comes out of like a mostly instrumental B side, it just feels strangely out of place. Um, it like the way that it builds and then fades out, I actually think like works as a closer. Yep, yep, that's true. But that easily could have just been the A side closer. Um, so just because it's like this full on kind of David Bowie, you know, there's it's an actual song with vocals on this B side that's mostly no vocals, it just it feels kind of out of place. Um, but that being said, I like the song. Um, yeah. It just, I just, I feel like it's just a bit out of place, but this whole, not wrong. Th- that being said, I mean, this whole record is like, uh, unorthodox, I guess, in that respect. Um, it's not structured like 
most albums are, nor is low, right? So it's it's he, that's kind of the theme he was working with at the time. Yes. So, and it worked. I mean, this record sold a billion copies, probably, right? So, yes. You know what's funny? Well, I was well, looking for some of the more it. the sales track and stuff, and I couldn't totally pull that together. Um, yeah, this this record sold quite quite a few copies. Um, let's talk about this. Overall, really liked this record. Thought it was cool. Um, enjoyed the B side. Um, Heroes is still undeniably the track off this record, but you get some other stuff on here, and and I was happy with it. It's a like if this is what you're putting out on your twelfth record, you're doing pretty good. You're the Nolan Ryan of music, you know. Like you're like, whoa, wait, <laughs> how old? And he's still doing this. Damn. Um, and by the way, he wasn't halfway done with his career. Yo, know, this yeah. is the right at I guess you would say this is right at the halfway point in his career. That's crazy. Wow. Not in time, but in output. Yeah. Wild ass. That's insane. Let's go through and do some ratings. How about that? Let's do it. Holistic quality. So this is the overall good, like the generic praise to steal a term. Like, yeah, this is good. Um, out of 20, I gave it a 16 out of 20. Okay, I gave it a 15. Yeah, which is, this is our generic praise where it's like, yeah, this is a good record. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, overall, it's pretty good. Highs, the best of the best. What do you give the highs on this record out of 10? Highs, I'm going to give it a 10 because it's Heroes, Heroes is on yeah. it. It's that same thing. It's a 10 out of 10. The high is one of the all-time highs. Lows out of 10. For me, I gave it a 7. Um, I don't feel like there are that many. It's It gets weird, and mm-hmm. the structure of it is weird. Mm-hmm. But overall, I'm, I'm in. So I gave it a 7. I gave it a 4. Because I thought Blackout and I thought Beauty and the Beast and Joe the Lion just didn't feel fully formed, didn't fully fit the vibe. I had started with giving it a higher because I was like, even the lows, because none of of those offend me. But Blackout on subsequent listens, I was like, "Eh." if I was listening to this on a purely pleasure listen, we'll call it, this might be a skip track. And that's okay. That's a low, you know. Um, so I, I gave it a four out of ten. Uh, competency or peer review? How does this stand up to its peers out of ten? I gave it a nine out of ten. I gave it a ten just because, like, oh, what Brian I'm, Eno is incomparable as well as Mister Fripp and David Bowie's freaking David Bowie. I mean, like, the, I honestly, I put I put Eno like on the. Eno and Bowie stand on the same hill, in my opinion, in a way. But like, uh, Bowie just kind of surpasses everyone, just somehow. He like, there's this intangible element there no, for him. So yeah, I only gave it a nine out of ten because I could compare it to his own work. Sure. And I think Fair. we both agreed not his not his best record, though. Heroes could be his best song. And there's parts where like, oh, this feels a little bit thrown together. So that's the only thing. Drag factor out of 10. I give it an 8 out of 10. Um, doesn't Does not drag. It's a 40-minute record, and for the most part, I don't feel like it drags on me. I gave it, a, I gave it the same. Flow. So how well does it move together out of 10? Um, I gave this a 6 out of 10. I think that okay. I like the artistic nature of it um, and the A-side, B-side, but as noted, there are a couple parts where it's like, oh, 
well, this could have, you know, Secret Life of Arabia. Love it. Preferred it's the end of the A side, not the end of the B side. Yeah, I gave it a seven. Yeah. Same reasons. Aesthetic. So out of 10, cover art, everything like that. Um, I gave it an eight out of 10. It's awesome. Uh, but it's not my favorite David Bowie album cover. <laughs> Interesting. See, I get, I give it a 10 because I think that this is like such an iconic record cover. I just, it is I, one of the most, you're not, I, wrong. I just, I just feel like I can't give it any, anything less. <sighs> All right, fine. I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. It is a 10 <laughs> out of 10 because it really is. Look, there's so much about it that is perfect. Um, like the angle of his head, the weirdness of his hands. I love, I love, underline love, heroes, David Bowie. The font they use, the way the words are spaced, the quotes around heroes, the placement above his head. It's an amazing looking cover. It's yeah. so great. It's yeah. amazing. I like at least three of his record, his album covers more. So I'm, I'm comparing a dude who just knew this was part of what he did to his own work. So what's my, your my number belief. one? I have to know. <sighs> this is where I should pick some bullshit. Like let's dance with, <laughs> which is clearly not yeah, um, scary monsters. No God. Yeah. Um, let me think it's uh, like now <laughs> Aladdin Sane is like Aladdin Sane is maybe right the most there. classic one maybe yeah like rise and fall not it yeah hunky dory I don't love that one no me neither hunky- even though kanye west was referenced on the cover <laughs> uh yes you're right good good call <laughs> k west hunky dory i really like i love the weird saturation of the colors the the like odd androgyny of it yeah feels kind of cool um the original cover from man who sold the world i don't love has a uh what's that one neil young record um i like the cover of space oddity a lot feels very labyrinth yeah um yeah like here's my question did young americans influence the album cover of young americans influence every movie poster for the 1980s oh dude absolutely um, and then, I mean, so many of these covers are great. I mean, Diamond Dogs, they might as well just co- call it cocaine. Yes. Yep. Yep. You know? And it's like this weird kind of like it fits the vibe. So it's probably Aladdin Sane. Um, Heroes might be right there. Low is underrated. I Long, think Low is great. Yeah. Like Low might low key be my favorite album yeah, cover, but maybe just really because great. I really love that album. I just think it's again. I mean. Look, there's a we could do a whole episode where we talk about the visual nature of these covers. Like Station to Station is awesome. It's, it's awesome. Great. It's, it's so great. awesome. Yeah. I thought you were going to say that one cuz I think I think that's like an all-timer too. Yeah, I love it. I love I think some of the visual work on these records is influential to about eight different styles that then define the next 20 years. Yeah. You know, like yeah, like I think aesthetics speaking, Mr. Bowie loses it after after scary monsters, maybe. Let's dance 
is cool but feels not great. Like it's just this is where all of a sudden everybody had access to computers. I mean, Lodger is a weird album cover. Lodger like, doesn't doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I mean, but he I'm, was always he was always trying out something new, and sometimes it worked, and sometimes it didn't. Exactly, that's that's the reality. Yeah. So I'm not mad at. It. So aesthetics, ten out of ten. You're right. Okay. Impact and influence out of ten. Um, ten. I just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's heroes is like, are there arguably any- the David Bowie song? And, and I think the album cover is arguably like the David Bowie, Bowie album cover. So yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I think that there's, there's something here that, uh, even if the album is kind of off kilter and weird and sometimes not all that memorable, it's, uh, it's so, David Bowie at his peak. Yeah. You're, you- I gave it a nine out of ten. You almost convinced me to give it more, but I'm thinking about the impact and influence. So not he's undeniable, and it's like peak of his powers. But I can't think of a song that sounds like Heroes. It's certainly not on this record. No, and then the rest of the record. <laughs> you know, I, I think also, for example. There's a lot of people who wouldn't know that David Bowie has songs that sound like the B side of this record. Yeah. So that that counts for something. <laughs> so it's yeah. a nine out of ten instead of a ten out of ten. Makes and sense. The intangibles. That, that's a ten out of ten for me. There's there's elements of this record that feel magical, feel intentional, feel artistic. Then there's certain elements that feel the opposite, but it all works. Yeah. I gave it a nine, actually. Okay. Um, more or less for the same reasons. I just, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't feel that strongly about this category that I gave it a ten. Okay. No worries. Uh, my total score was an eighty-two. I gave it an eighty-six. I think that's about right. About <laughs> this right. Is an amazing record. Excuse me, frog in my throat. This is an amazing record. Um, ah, you know what? This is an amazing collaboration of artists. <laughs> putting together I agree, yeah. a record that we're talking about and saying like, ah, this is good. This is a, and at the end of the day, it's still like, no, no, this is like magical. And we're still saying this isn't the first David Bowie record we'd give to people. So, um, dude, but, but that's, that's the thing. And that's, that's a larger conversation that we don't have to have here. I, I feel like most David Bowie records kind of fall into this category, except for a few outliers like Ziggy yeah. Sardust um aladdin sane uh maybe hunky dory but like those are like front to back bangers yeah whereas most of his albums are kind of this low-key just like super experimental super interesting super impactful you know interesting listen but not necessarily like hit after hit like the stone roses self-titled album as we all know for me is a 10 out of 10 album. Yep. Like every song to me is a banger, including yep. your favorite. Don't stop now. Don't stop now. Best song on the record. <laughs> Frequent. But, <laughs> but this, like this record to me, like as, as an album does not even hold a candle to that, which like maybe people will crucify me for that, whatever. But like, it's, it's just, it's a different kind of listen. It's a different kind of thing. So yeah, I agree with you completely. It's like, a lot of the right people being in the right room at the right time doing something interesting 
but oh. as an album, it's like, it's, it's, it's not necessarily the most consistent listen. I'm not going to say like, yeah, great album. It's like, but it's interesting. Did anyone have a more productive twenties than David Bowie? He was Dude, born no. in January, Never. 1947 between 67 and 77. He put out 12 albums became this crazy icon and he continued output after but he could have stopped and he still would have been one of the most important figures in music crazy yeah he could have disappeared forever and still after like the first 10 years or 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 even better he could have not disappeared but just stopped doing anything creative yeah and this dude didn't never did so big shout outs to uh david robert and uh, R.I.P. Um, listen, R. To R. Some, R. listen to some David Bowie today for us. Goodbye, folks. <laughs>